We started the series two weeks ago, and then last week I shared, and this is the reading. If you want to read with us, if you want to find out more stuff, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, it's about a young demon that's an apprentice of an older demon on how to get a human onto the dark side, as it were. Then uh, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., The Bravery of Sin. This is quite an in-depth reading on what sin is. Um, so, yeah, it's quite um, in-depth and high level. The Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth, David Tackle. And then my personal favorite is Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard. If you have not read that book, I want to encourage you to read it over the series. It is all about spiritual formation and uh, changed my life some years ago when I was introduced to it by Alexander Fenter. And um, let me start my, my clock so I don't overshoot this morning. All right. So, <clears throat> interesting quotes of people in our culture of late. Barack Obama is in an interview with David Letterman. My next guest needs no introduction, which is a Netflix series. And uh, Barack Obama says the following. One of our biggest challenges that we have in our democracy is the degree to which we do not share a common baseline of facts. The Washington Post calculated that Donald Trump made 2,140 false or misleading claims in his first year of office, an average of almost six a day. The Wren Corporation did an investigation or a, um, a research, and they've coined a phrase, truth decay, to name the cultural moment in the context of the USA, but I believe flows into South Africa too. I think if we took Jacob Zuma, Julius Malema, and the likes and put them up, I'm pretty sure that the statistics would not be too different. And actually, we all, if we're honest, we don't really know what the truth is out there, do we? Because we hear a report, and someone like the Washington Post has mostly left-wing, and so of course they're going to go and make sure that Donald Trump gets seen in a certain light. And for all the good that he is doing on one side, there are other things, but the point is, is that on the surface and everything else, we do not know what the truth is, because the left and right, and what really how this started was through the postmodern thought. See, postmodernism came into place and became truth is relative. Truth is what you believe it to be, not that we have an objective thing of truth. And uh, so let's deconstruct it. And we can see that in our sexuality. We can see that in marriage, gender, family. Everything has been redefined in our world today. And uh, it's interesting that even though I've named some of these sources, every single one of them would have their bias. And many of them are from the left. So it's interesting that the, the left side of society, and you know what I mean when I take the left side, eh? the liberal side of society, is the ones who said, no, truth is relative. Let's decide on what it is for ourselves. And uh, we live in a world where there is actually a war on what truth and lies are. And uh, its root is deception. And Jesus, and I'm going to show you, shows that everything is rooted in deception. And he links it all to this creature called the devil. And like I said last week, the devil is actually the diablos, the, the, the one who is the accuser, the one who is the one who's going to come and bring the lies. He's the father of lies. The word hasatan, all of those are actually verbs. They're not nouns. So some of the, the writers or the, commentary, the commentators on the Bible say that God, in almost tongue-in-cheek, doesn't even give the devil a name, but just calls him for what he is. But anyway, Jesus is going to show us how to overcome the devil. Because otherwise, what we do is we relegate the devil to demonic oppressions or, or expressions or some kind of, well, let's go to um, this... Uh, place where we cast out a demon, or maybe it's sickness, or maybe it's a tsunami, and we place all of that on the devil, but actually those are secondary or symptoms of a creature that's primary stratagem is to do this, is to ruin your soul through deceptive ideas that play to your disordered desires, your flesh, 
and which ultimately those desires get normalized in society. And we've touched on some of the gender equality stuff and everything else, which we won't go into this morning. The problem is, is that lies often masquerade as the truth. You know, the, the best lies are the ones that have 99% truth to them. But the 1% lie is actually what really matters. So if you want to be a good liar, tell 99% of the truth. Or we can kind of look at other ways of looking at what lies and truth are. So if I said to you, you know, I know a pastor. He drives a Mercedes-Benz, and he lives in an apartment overlooking a golf course. What, is, what comes to your mind? Jeez, is this guy just taking money from the church to live the big life? But if I said, no, he drives a 1976 Mercedes 280E, and he lives in a one-bedroom apartment that overlooks the adventure golf course in Cresta, Very different, isn't it? The enemy comes to deceive us. Isn't it funny, often you go and speak to somebody and you hear and they express something. As a pastor, many times, especially in the context of marriage, you go and you speak to the wife and the husband this and the husband that. And you go, Whoa! the sense of injustice rises up within you and you march over to the husband and you go find it and they express they were in the same room, but their understanding of actually what went on was quite different. See, also what we do is we oversimplify things, don't we? So when we look at things like gender, sexuality, race, politics, we oversimplify it to some kind of hashtag Twitter feed, and we think that that's the truth, but actually it's a lot more complicated than that. But anyway, let's go back to last week, and let's look at how Jesus was addressing these religious leaders, and he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no, okay, not There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And what Jesus is now going to do, or what Jesus is doing in this context, and I'm going to kind of link it up a lot more from last week, is he's going to now tie this into Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of of man. And the problem with most of us Westerners is we read uh, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we kind of get freaked out by the fact that there's a talking snake. And we think that those people back then were just kind of a little weird. And what I want you to do is you've got to decipher and whether you believe in an actual snake or not, whether it's history or mythology to you, in many ways doesn't matter. But what we need to understand is this could possibly be just a spiritual, an an ancient imagery of spiritual evil that actually came up as an apologetic against this whole Babylonian mythology that was at the time. I personally don't believe it was a talking snake. Now, some of you may be, and that's okay. Because actually, we'll show you throughout the series that the name of Satan, he was actually an angel, the one who was created, who was around the throne. The Seratar, is that Cherubim, sorry, the Cherubim. Who, and and he, actually, he was an angel of light, and he came into the garden, and he was, the same word is used as a serpent. So he comes in as an angel of light, and he deceives Eve. And I'm going off my topic for a moment. But the point is, is whatever genre of literature you believe Genesis is or not, the the point is is that the underlying principles for thousands of years have shown us that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 show us the reason why humanity has the problem, but also gives the solution. And I'm going to show that to you in a moment. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And yes, I'll show it up behind me, but turn with me, whether you've got it on your iPads or your smartphones or whatever. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty, cunning, 
deceitful than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say that we may not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And we must not touch it or we will die. You will certainly not die. Some truth. But the lie was, no, you will die spiritually. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good from evil. Can you see the whole thing here? The enemy doesn't come with fear, doesn't come with, hey, if you don't eat this, I'm going to terrorize you. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to come with guns and machine guns, and I'm going to bring a drone over and shoot you. doesn't do that. He comes with a deceptive idea. Did God really say, no, you won't die? And that's how he comes to us, to bring ruin to our soul. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> Verse 6, <clears throat> when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable. Notice what happens. He's speaking exactly what I've just said. He's speaking to a disordered desire. All of a sudden, Eve has desired this fruit because now the enemy is going, hey, that fruit, it's going to help you. And she's got these disordered desires which now overtake the desire for God and what God has said. And this deceptive idea has now grabbed a hold of her disordered desires and now she's in trouble. And it says, for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate. So She saw it, she desired it, she took it and she ate. She also gave some to her stupid husband, I mean husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, <clears throat> and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig trees together and covered themselves. Fig trees, I keep saying fig trees, fig leaves. Although a fig tree might have helped too. <clears throat> and then what happens is God arrives, so you can see I've just kind of gone to verse 11 from verse 8. God arrives and kind of says, uh, they hear him in the cool of the day walking, and God says, what have you done? Why are you hiding from me? Where are you, Adam? And he says, well, we were naked, therefore we were fearful, so we hid ourselves. And so God comes in verse 11, and he says, who told you that you were naked? Now, as some believe that the glory of God, and if you look at the consummation of this age, we won't need a son anymore, because God's light is going to be our son. So I believe that in, in Eden, what, what we, the, Adam and Eve were so filled with the glory of God that genitals and everything else didn't even kind of show. But the minute they sinned, that kind of light disappeared, and all of a sudden they go, oh, whoa, what have you got there? Um, and uh, they carry on. Just giving you some imagery. Please don't stay there. <clears throat> Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of that fruit and I ate it. How's that for a double blame shift? The woman you gave me. So, yeah, so you gave me that woman, so it's your fault, and the woman was the one who did it. Guys, in marriage, stop blame shifting. I think it's the biggest problem in our society today that we don't take responsibility, and we just blame shift to somebody else, and especially our husbands and wives. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. He has a perfect example that ignorance is enough to make us sin. If we are ignorant about the enemy's schemes and how he's going to come against us, that will cause us to do things that will cause us to move away from God and move towards more the image of the devil than of Jesus. And the point is, is that no matter how good your intentions are, how good your heart is, if you are ignorant about the enemy's schemes, you become vulnerable. 
So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, war. Remember we talked about last week, when we come into the context of Christianity in terms of this world, there is a war between good and evil, between God and between the devil. It's not really a, a fair fight. It's already been won. And God could, it says, blow a nostril and the devil would be smashed. We'll talk about all that stuff later. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So right away, at the fall, God's already talking about the solution of Jesus coming. And even though the enemy might bite our heels like this little yap dog, you can kind of pick the lap dog up and throw it over the wall. Well, I thought that was funny, but anyway. The point is, Jesus, in, in John chapter 8, if we go back there, he's addressing the religious leaders of the time, and he's saying, you actually look more like the devil and the image of the devil in terms of how you are living your lives as opposed to the image of God. And you, you claim to be the, the sons and daughters of Abraham, but actually you look more like the devil because you are operating in the same way. And so what he's talking about is there are three questions in life. Every single one of us are asking this question, who is God? Who am I? Or who, who are we? Who are am I? I actually had the who are we, and then I changed it. So who are am I, which is anthropology? Who is God theology? And what is, God, what, what is this good life, and how do we live it out? Which is kind of sociology or moral socialism, whatever you want to call it. So now the point is, is those questions you need to answer. And you heard about the two boys that were really naughty, and it was a single mom, and she was trying to discipline them. They just weren't listening. So somebody said, hey, there's a pastor down the road. He's brilliant with kids, and he sorted my kids out one shot. Why don't you take him there, or them there? So these twin boys go down, and uh, they're sitting waiting like the headmaster's office. Finally, the pastor calls them in, and they sit down, and it's kind of quiet and very, you know, it's awkward. So the pastor says to them, where is God? Two boys look at each other, and the one gets this horror look on his face, but they don't say anything. So the pastor gets a little bit more aggressive, and he says, where is God? And again, the boys get very agitated. So he thinks, these kids are not listening. They need to answer the question, where is God? And the one kid jumps up and rushes out the door, and his brother behind him. And finally, he catches up with his brother, and he says, Johnny, Johnny, what's up? He says, they've lost God, and they're going to blame us. The point is, is that the devil came to Eve in the same way, in those three categories. He came and he deceived her. In verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. So God isn't who he claims to be. God is this, he's holding out on you. He's not generous. He's kind of petty and jealous. And he's really only giving you the scraps. And so he comes to Eve and deceives her like he does with us. Or secondly, what he does is he says, well, actually, you're not created below God. You can be like God in verse, in verse 5 as well. And he says, you don't have limitations. You can overcome the, you can be whatever you want to be. The fact that you might be only five foot four, you can go and become a high jumper. Mm, maybe not. You know, you could transcend all your limitations, be true to yourself. You know, that's the adage of the world. And you go and get these motivational talks and you can do it and you be who you need to be. Not quite. Thirdly, did it come up? Ignore the blessings that God has given you. 
Isn't it amazing that they get put, and if you go read the accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, this place in Eden is beautiful. It is like pristine waterfalls, trees, and God says, here's the big yes. You can have anything here, but here's the small no except that one tree. And what, what does the enemy do for us? He gets us to focus on what we don't have or what we're not allowed to do. There's this big yes. There's this playground that God has called us to in this world. And, he, and we, we look at and we forget about the blessing and the thankfulness of that. And we focus on the one thing we don't have. Oh, I don't have curly hair. I've got straight hair. Oh, I'm not tall enough. I wish I was taller. Like I, I swam in a competition yesterday and I showed Louise the guy that I've got to swim against. He's about six foot six. And I dive in the pool, and he's already half a meter ahead of me. <laughs> oh, it's so unfair. But there's this amazing big yes that God has given all of us, not just in the Garden of Eden, but in our whole lives and what we call to. But what he'll do is he'll come and he'll get you to focus on that. And these things always change. You'll try and try, and try that. Go rather, rather try that thing, and you're missing out on that, and you should be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing that. And then what happens is, is we land up getting deceived by him. The exact nature of all these lies will differ from generation to generation. My parents would have had something slightly different to what we've got, to what my kids, I'm seeing what they are being called into. Even from culture to culture, or even from demographic to demographic, because we get brought up differently, and those lies and deceptions, he's going to come and deal with it. So now, secular society, is, it's an interesting time that we're living, because secular society isn't really in rebellion to God. They actually go, actually, there is no God. If you've read up on that Israel Folau um, setup in terms of that rugby play in Australia, and we'll get into that at some point, but um, what was interesting was there was a, a journalist who wrote a brilliant article on it, and he was like, why are you guys so upset? You don't even believe in hell. And what he did was he quoted that, that text, I think it's out of Corinthians, around you know, uh, uh, greedy, um, whatever, sexual, immoral, whatever, will not inherit the, the kingdom of God. And he said, actually, I was listed there a few times, but I'm not offended because I don't even believe in it. See, secularism says there's no God. So if there's no God, then I decide what is truth. I decide how I live out my life and my morality. And uh, the fact is, is that, that that snake in Genesis chapter 3 and that Bible is myth mythology. And I forget it. It's, it's a big load of junk anyway. So let's, we're more enlightened. We're more knowledgeable. So we'll live our lives out like this. And we'll decide how to live. And they live as if there's no God. It's called atheism. Or they say, okay, maybe there's a God and a creator, because yeah, I don't know how all this could have happened. But he's, not, he's totally disinterested. So then the whole thing of being an agnostic was like, I'm going to live my life because God's not interested at all anyway. So the problem with this approach is that once you, how you determine that first answer, if you remember the three questions, who is God, whatever you decide there will determine what your identity is and who you are, and will determine how you live out your life. In other words, when we look at that whole thing, when you look at how you live out your life, your anthropology of what you believe you to be and your identity is determined by your theology. And then how you live out that good life, the sociology. But what we do is we want to know who we are. We want to know all of this. So we determine what that looks like, and we start to live that out apart from God, and we land up on the wrong planets. And the, port, the, the, the challenge is, is, how do we believe this? Do we believe that God is a creator? Because if you believe God is a creator, then you know that God designed you with intent. That you're not here by just chance, but that God's got a purpose and a destiny for you. But if you believe in chance, well, then it's just survival of the fittest. And so you're going to dog eat dog. You're going to do whatever you want to do. You want to get ahead. There's no intent. 
There's no morality, so I decide what that morality is, and I avoid accountability because I can do what I want because it makes me happy. So a father can go into his daughter's bedroom and do what he wants because it makes him happy. It's okay. I can go and do X, Y, Z because it makes me happy. Because I decide what that is. As opposed to a God who has designed us with intent. He has put objective morality things. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Do not murder. Do not whatever. No, those are the Ten Commandments. We're under grace. No, man. Foot sack. Accountability. Trust in God. And what that gives us a hope and a hope for a life and the life God has called us to lead. The one that is abundant. Not the one that actually we trust in ourselves. Everything goes and we land up with no hope in death. Go read Ephesians chapter 2. It's exactly where we are as a society in our world today. So, let me ask you this question. How does the devil bring ruin to your soul in human society? Well, we've just seen with Eve. <laughs> Comes with that deceptive idea. He isolates you. He isolated Eve. And the only voice that comes is not God's voice, but the devil's voice. Did God really say? Do you think that was only one time? I don't think it was only one time. It just had to be this moment. I think he came a couple of times. Did God really say? A week later, did God really say? Hey, you didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Did God really say? Hey, you had a fight with Adam. Hey, did God really say? Oh, yeah, no, life's tough. Work's been tough. We've been watering the garden all day, and we've had a drought now. And, and now Adam's fighting with me, and you know I didn't sleep last night. Did God really say? Well, actually, maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't. So what he does is he plants doubt in who God is, plants doubt in who she is, and plants doubt into what that good and kind of happy good life looks like. And that's what he does with us all the time. So let me ask you this question now. How do we guard against these lies? Well, I'm going to show you. Number one, John 16 verse 13 says, But when the, truth of, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. I need a volunteer. Not you, baby. Moses, stay there, stay there, stay there. I'm coming to you. Why don't you tie this behind there for me, please? You mustn't be able to see him, huh? Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Can you see? No. You sure? Yes. Okay, I can't see. Okay, Moses, stand up. Turn to your right, a quarter turn to your right. Okay, take a few steps forward. Come to slowly, yeah. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. One more step, one more. Okay, turn a quarter to your left. Take two steps. Two. Okay, turn a bit more. To me, this way. Turn to your left. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Now, there's something in front of you. So you need to know. You, it's on the floor. You can't touch it. 
I want you to lift your leg high and step over it. So slowly, 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 step over it. Big step, big step. All right. Why not? Okay, come one step forward. Okay, now you have to step over. You can't move this one. This one can't move. This one can't move. Step over. Step over. Up and high. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. I'm trying to prove this to everybody and show somebody, people something. Okay, now I'm going to lead you. So come, one step, one more. Okay, one more step. Okay, now you've got to step over. Big step. Big, big step, yeah. Okay, over. Okay, come, let's keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. Okay, now you're going to come to something else. Big step over. Big step over. Big step. Okay, keep coming. Keep coming. All right. Can we see... We are trying to live the Christian life without hearing the voice of truth and without having relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we wonder why we're stumbling. It's just like the fact that we are blindfolded to these things, and what can happen is I can get... Can you pass me the microphone, please, Ben? You can get another voice that comes, that if Moses isn't engaging me as Holy Spirit, sorry, Lord, I'm not being blasphemous. If I, if I and the Holy Spirit kind of disappear, not that I'm, the Holy Spirit disappears, we walk away from the Holy Spirit, and then we interject another voice. Whoa. Okay. No, stop, stop. Okay, you're done. Okay. A simple skit, but hopefully it, 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 it tells you something. That what the enemy's going to do is he's going to do exactly that. He's going to have a voice like Paul Elliott. And he's going to get you to walk into, <laughs> into stuff and go, well, there we go. Because why? Because there's a new voice that's introduced. So Adam and Eve were fine, but when the second voice was introduced of the serpent, he comes in and he starts to deceive. And if we're not walking close to the Holy Spirit and hearing his voice, what's going to happen? We're going to start to listen to that other voice and land up being deceived. And that's why it says, And we all with, un with, a, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So if we're not with Holy Spirit and we're not listening to what he's saying, we can't be transformed by truth into the image of Jesus. Who are we going to be transformed into? Because we're going to listen to whose voice? The enemy's voice. And he is the one who has the power of the air because Adam and Eve gave that to him. That's what the Bible tells us. And yes, Jesus has won that back. But if we're not in Christ and we're not following Holy Spirit, then the enemy is going to lead us down paths that are not correct. And we're going to look more like him, like the religious leaders of the day in Jesus' time. The point that I'm trying to make is that we need relationship with the Holy Spirit and we need the truth that comes from the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we land up isolated and we listen to the second voice. That's why church is so important. I don't want you to come to life as, I'm saying church. 
I'm saying that that church is so important to be part of a community, to be part of people who are leading and helping you do this. Because when, once you get isolated like Eve was isolated, that second voice becomes paramount in your life and you start to make wrong decisions. And you look more like the image of the devil than you do of the image of Christ. And we become enslaved. And we walk into these places. So the, what is this all about? Well, spirit is God's empowering presence. Gordon Fee wrote an amazing book on Holy Spirit called The Empowering Presence. When you are in the presence of a Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit takes you down places and you, he leads you into truth. As opposed to the devil who's going, who is the, he, there is no truth in him. So all he's going to do is speak to you his lies. That's the beautiful thing. You see, the enemy cannot counterfeit peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. So when you're making decisions, peace should be your umpire, as it says in Colossians. Not this whole thing of, oh, let me work this out, and how can I make more money here? And how can I? No, where's the peace line? Because the enemy will never bring peace into your heart. And the thing about truth is, truth is reality. We spoke about that last week. <laughs> when unreality is what you crash into when you think you're right. Spirit without truth has no meaning. What do you mean? What I mean by truth without spirit is cold and cruel. What do we mean? We need both presence and meaning in relationship and reality. Well, let me give you an example. How many of you have gone into a doctor's room by yourself? And you walk in and there's just no one you know. And you sit there. And it's weird because no one knows each other. And everyone's wondering why they're here. And that one's coughing and splattering. And that one coughed up a lung. And you, know, and you don't know who these people are. But it's amazing that when you go to a doctor's room and you're not feeling well and you've got somebody that loves you and is comforting you, you're sitting next to you. It's a totally different setup, isn't it? And then when we come and we don't have a relationship and someone comes in and just kind of gives you truth, you kind of feel, what was that about? You don't know where it's coming from. It sounds harsh. But I know I can take more truth from Louise than anybody else in this room. I've got the scars to prove it. <laughs> Babe, why did you do that? What were you thinking? But if somebody I don't know comes, I'm going, who, who are you? So what we do is when we have spirit and truth, we have this empowering presence that comes alongside us, just like I showed with Moses, who comes and guides us into all truth. That's why Jesus came as a man, to bring relationship, God with us. Now we have God in us, Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the one that fortifies and strengthens us, and then Jesus comes and he teaches us truth. But we need both of those. And without both of those, we come and we land up in a problem. So, isn't it amazing that when you go into some kind of counseling or therapy or a freedom session that we run here, what you have is you have somebody who loves and cares for you and is trying to speak truth into your life so that you can bring freedom into where God is taking you. Many of us have grown up. The thing about parents and siblings is they have the biggest impact on our lives. So if you ever go for a freedom session, which I really strongly encourage you all should do, is what happens is, is you've got people like Kerry and, and, and uh, Louise, I almost said Karen, because you always say Kerry and Karen together, Louise and Kerry, and you've got uh, people like Natalie who started up and others, Leisha, and what they do is they just gently lead you in conversation with Father God, with Jesus, with Holy Spirit, to unpack those lies that you believe about them, to open up a, more of a relationship with truth coming in. And when we operate in truth, we move into the flourishing life that God's called us into. And many of us believe lies about God, about ourselves, and about what that life looks like. That's where every, we don't go, oh, she's, 
oh, it's 10 o'clock at night. I need to lust now. I planned it for this whole week and I need to do it right now. We don't do that. No, what do we do? We allow our lives to get pulled into a place where we believe deception lies and we believe that the lusting and whatever I do right now is going to bring me pleasure and bring me into this good life that everyone describes. So, how do we work this out? How do we understand that many of us have grown up in terms of a parent or parents who might have been great. They might have been like I showed you, Holy Spirit walking alongside, showing truth. We try to do that with our kids. When things go awry, we sit with them and we say, hey, babe, did you see? We don't want you to, to tell lies because actually that means that you're more like the devil's daughter than you are God's daughter. And so don't tell lies. Rather tell the truth because that will set you free. And we try and speak. So let's walk alongside. We like Holy Spirit, truth and presence. But what about some of you who grew up with parents who weren't, weren't present? And then what they did is they came only in those moments, wait until your dad gets home. You never saw your dad, but when you did see your dad, he was smacking your bum with a wooden spoon. Do you see what happens? Now we start to see God, Father God as the Father who is absent and only comes to discipline us. Or maybe they were both absent and there was no truth. Maybe you are first generation Christian, that your parents don't even, they don't even think God exists. And you've grown up with all of these lies. Now how do you dismantle that? Or you need Holy Spirit to come alongside you, both empowering presence and truth. Okay, but Gary, that's cool. But, but you know, how, do, how do we all do this? Well, I don't think many of you have done something really bad when you're having coffee with your pastor. Where you go, I can't believe I did that. My whole life is destroyed because of that which I did when I was having coffee with my pastor. Or maybe you got up on Christmas morning and just opened your presents, and then you, with you and your parents, you went, oh, let's go rob a bank. No. But the thing is, when we isolate ourselves, I guarantee you, everything that you regret in your life, you either did on your own, or you were with people that were a bad influence on you. Show me your friends and I will prophesy your future. Who are you spending time with? Who is the presence in your life? Are they feeding into you? That's why, again, church is so important because if you don't have mentors and people walking the same road with you, I'm thankful for the people around me because sometimes you go, oh, God, I can't do this. But someone, come on, Gary. That's what God has said. That's what God, God spoke these promises over your life. I was there when that happens. Come on, lift your head. Go speak with God. Go Find out what the lies you believe right now so that the truth can come so you can start again or carry on the journey as it were. So what is the devil going to do? He's going to isolate you. The minute you stop coming to community, the minute you stop engaging community, there's an alarm bell that goes off. Why? Because when you're in community and you come and you worship like we did this morning, and you have a corporate worship, and the empowering presence of God comes, starts to unravel the lies that you believe, and you move into the truth that God has for you. So, Paul says, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes, because the devil wants to outwit you. What happens, like yesterday, we go watch the rugby, and we see the Lions play the Hurricanes. I'm Scotty's not here, I was hoping he was going to be here. When we were in a youth group together, I was probably about 18 or 19 years old, and we used to do a lot of volleyball. The church we were at had a, um, a, a beach volleyball court that we, that we had dug. It was 
And we, 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 there was sweat and blood that went into that court. So we used to play lots. Whole of Sunday afternoon, we used to play volleyball. We won tournaments and all kinds of stuff. We had a really good team. And there were two guys in the team. One was the pastor's son, um, who was a very good sportsman, like a provincial squash player. And the other guy was a very sporty guy. And they had teamed up. We actually threw names in, and we had this tournament, two-man tournament. And Scotty and I just landed up getting, getting each other, which was cool because brothers kind of know each other. So we, we landed up in their pool, and we lost in the round, like got stumped, I think probably like 15-8 in, in the first round. But we'd won all our other games, and we landed up meeting in the final again. And so Scotty and I kind of thought, well, how do we do this? Because Steve had an amazing um, spike on him. Tall guy, could jump really high and just spike the ball anywhere. And this other friend of mine, Patrick, we used to call him Patch, was an amazing setter. So he would set the ball brilliantly for Steve to spike. So we decided, why don't we rather play the ball on Patch first at the back of the court? Because there's no way he's going to be able to set to the front net in order for Steve to, to spike, other than a bit of a fluke. So they're going to have to, he's going to have to set, Steve's then going to have to set for him, and Patch is going to have to now spike. We beat them 15-0. It was beautiful. You know when that, 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 that verse... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that, you know that verse in the Bible where Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil? We made a public spectacle of them in that moment. Anyway, I'm not competitive at all. Um, yeah, no. Steve's in Canada, so it's fine. Um, the, yeah, the point is, is that when you know your opponent, you won't be outwitted by them. And that's what should happen with us. We should know who our enemy is. Not give him airtime. I know Lee, before the meeting, said, you know, what we should do, there's this, um, and I, was, I think it was a true story, was they had uh, one of the airplane um, companies had vermin on their plane. Somehow, obviously, when they were parked, some rats got on, onto the plane and they started to multiply like rats do. And the way that they killed the rats was not to go lower but to go higher where there was no oxygen and they died. And part of what we do is we need to go higher with God, not kind of try to deal with the devil. Because when we go higher with God and he is the purpose, he's who we're focusing on, we become what we behold rather than giving the devil any airtime. That's why I'm only giving him two preachers out of the 10 years that we've been at church. No, because we need to be focusing on God. When we focus on God, we see what the truth is, and you only know what the counterfeit is when you've got the real in front of you. Not even in my notes, so that must have been Holy Spirit. Okay, so Luke 4, let's have a quick look and I'm going to land. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, how's there? Just like I just said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led, like I led Moses, into the wilderness. Huh? God leads us into wilderness? Okay. For 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, same, same thing, Genesis 3, all over again, if you are the son of God, Turn these stone into bread. Interesting, isn't it? Deceptive idea. Jesus has just gone through his baptism. The love of the Father has flown on him. You are my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Literally 40 days later, if you are the son of God. We're at war, people. If you are not being tempted by the devil, then you're probably doing all of what he wants you to do. Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but possibly beer as well. 
get in, get in, get in. And the devil goes and he, all of these, he comes up against them. I'm not going to go through it for the sake of time. But hey, if you do this, I'll give you this. If you do this, throw yourself down. God will whatever. And ultimately, Jesus says, I'm not going to put God to the test. And the devil withdrew from tempting him for another opportune time. <laughs> so we all think, oh, Jesus went through one temptation and then it was it. No, no. The devil came back and tempted him throughout all. I'm sure in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was coming at him. Why are you doing this? Are you mad? They're going to rip flesh out of you. They're going to put a crown of thorns on your head. They're going to stab you with a spear. They're going to nail you to a cross. Are you crazy? Why are you doing this? And for these people who hate you, why? So what Jesus does is he succeeds Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve didn't and when you and I certainly don't. And so the question is, is how does Jesus fight the devil? He doesn't shout and scream. It's amazing when we, I've noticed when people, some people do spiritual warfare, they shout and scream. It's like the louder you get, like the devil's really going to get scared of you. But actually, it's more about the authority that we're dressed in a police uniform and that motorbike that just went at about 130, 40, 50 k's down the road here, was it, oh, it's not Bruce, he's here, is sticks out his hand, what, the authority stops it. You know, he doesn't have to shout and scream or pull out an AK-47 or a rocket launcher to stop the person. And often I think we don't believe the authority that God has given us and the prayer that God has given us. See, it's not an emotional conversation. It's from a place of dev- from the desert. And you know, it's through prayer and fasting, spiritual disciplines, that he is saturated in the word of God, that when the enemy comes, he just says, no, you, the devil was quoting scripture. And Jesus could see, yeah, you're trying to come with some truth, but I'm coming with the truth. And I'm coming against you, both with presence, because I've been saturating myself in his presence, through prayer and fasting. My spiritual practices, disciplines are in place. I'm saturated in what God is, his presence, his word, the truth. Now the enemy comes and he's able to counter it. So how do we do it? Through spirit and truth undergirded by spiritual practices. Something which the church today, on the whole, is really, really bad at. And we wonder why we're losing the battle against the enemy. So, how many of you have read This Present Darkness or Piercing the Darkness? Frank Peretti. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old book. It must be 30 years old. Oh. But it's a beautiful book around being able to see the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We are more spiritual than we are physical. Do you know that? But we are so inculcated with the physical that we forget that there's a spiritual realm out there. So I was listening to a preach by a guy called Kevin Zadai. So this guy had a death experience or near-death experience because obviously he's alive still. Um, and, and in that, he encountered Christ. And then for 40 days, he prayed in tongues for 14 hours a day. Now, I don't know where you stand with tongues. I think it is the most beautiful gift that God has given us as Christians. And I know some of you, oh, God hasn't given me. No, I believe he's given it to everybody. And I would love you all to have it if you haven't got it. I'm going to give an opportunity just now when we go back into worship. You must hurry up. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. This week... I had, a, I had a crazy week. Without going into all the details, hadn't had my new contract signed, but I should have it signed in a few days. And so I wasn't sure whether I had work from the end of the month and just all that that, that brings, as well as some other stuff that was kind of floating around. And I was just struggling with my head and my thoughts. And of course, tired. had a busy week last week. So tiredness, busyness, and everything else, not saturating myself in God's word. And, and then all of a sudden, the enemy starts to speak. Gary, you're not good enough. You shouldn't be leading the church. 
Gary, the provision's not there. There's no fruit in your ministry. God, you should be giving this up. And you start to go, oh. So we have our admin meeting, and Paul Tartil kind of speaks to us. We, we Skype him, and we have a quick word with him. And he starts to say, he mentions Kevin's about the, the, the tongues, which I'd already heard. And he says, Gary, tongues are like a, like a nuclear explosion. When you start to speak in tongues and you throw that into the enemy's camp, he runs like a scalded rabbit. And I'm going, yes. And we go and, we, and I'm pumped. And I leave the admin meeting at about 10 past nine. And I've got a meeting at 10 o'clock. And I come woo, onto William Nickel and it's just backed up and all the traffic lights are out. Oh. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah. And then I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Gary, you've now got half an hour to pray in tongues until you get to work. So I start. And I know some of you are going, Gary, tongues, you're weirding me out. That's okay. I'm tired of not doing what God has called us to do because you're weirded out because you're offended by what the Bible actually says. Because it's a deceptive idea that tongues is not for you. So I start. I think I do feel God saying, hey, it's a little put some aggression into it. I prayed for half an hour, got to work, and I was still going strong. Then we, we get together on Friday morning. We start praying in tongues. It maybe lasts three minutes, and everyone's off, oh, tired. It's the same thing. It's spiritual practice. We've got to practice in praying and doing those kind of things so that we can pray for 14 hours a day when God asks us to do that. Actually, Paul says in Thessalonians that he prays continuously. I wonder how that works. Because obviously you can't pray continuously, but, but possibly there's a posture of continuous prayer that you can pray and start to declare those things. What I'm trying to say is that in this moment, what we understand is that we need to, if we understood what prayer is, if we understood what tongues actually did, if we could see into that spiritual realm and see those atomic bombs going off in the enemy's camp and seeing the enemy running around and demons fleeing and the angels are standing there just laughing. Because that's what the, this present darkness describes. When the saints stop praying, the enemy gets his way. So, Steve Porter, philosopher, says the following. Spiritual disciplines are embodied practices in a physical world whereby the, we present ourselves to the immaterial reality of the spirit or the presence or word of truth of Christ. <clears throat> if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not involved with CBR, like we've got here, we have got groups of people that are reading through the Bible through this year. It is amazing every morning. I hardly miss a morning. Just sitting there, one chapter in the Old Testament. Look, Leviticus is tough, I've got to be honest. I mean, gee whiz. Hey? Menstrual cycles and semen and all kinds of stuff. You're like, what? But anyway, moving on. You get to the, the New Testament. We've just done um, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. It's like beautiful. And, and, you, and, you, and you interact with the people, and people bring up stuff. You go, that's amazing. And truth of God starts to filter through. Get involved in a WhatsApp group. Because we've got technology to do that. We don't have to sit in the same room. And we can have Bible study together. And so we starting, I'm starting to see traction in our WhatsApp group. Almost three or four, five, six posts a day that people are going, hey, I've seen this, I've seen that. And you go, oh, that's amazing. And that word that someone's just given, you start to hold on to. Dallas Willard says the following. As we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that, we first, that the first movements towards the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we must begin and learn to change. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing those destructive images and ideas and thoughts 
with the images and ideas that are filled in the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and image for his. If we trust Jesus, if we believe in who he says he is, and we allow his ideals to change our mental maps, to give us a vision for who God really is, he's the good, good father, and we are loved by him. Who are we? Who is our identity in him? And what is this good life that he's called us to? Let me ask you one more question. Whose responsibility is it to develop your thought life for Jesus? Because I want to categorically say it's not mine. I'm talking about you. For me, it's me. I'm responsible. For you, it's you. You are responsible to step into that place, to hear the truth, and walk out in wholeness in the life that God has destined and purpose for you. Do you know that God, Holy Spirit, will never violate your free will? He's a perfect gentleman. You have to invite him. He will not force you to speak in tongues. No, I'm waiting. He hasn't, he hasn't given me that gift. No. Actually, step into it and say, God, I want that gift. You may not get it the first time. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts off by practice. He gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, practice these things, and if you do, you will be like the man who built your house on the rock. It's not like being perfect. I went and swam in a swimming gala yesterday. I was determined to break the Gauteng record. Ostewis, like absolutely determined. And I missed out by 0.7. But I'm going back next, next week, I mean next month, and I'm going to try again. Why? Because it's something that I want to achieve in my life. And if I'm not going to practice and I'm not going to swim and I'm not going to you know, push the bounds of what I can do, I'm not going to be able to ever get that. I know that's not important to you, like whatever. But for me, it's important. But in my spirituality, I've got to have the same thing. What are your goals? What are you doing? How are you disciplining your daily life? Because you know what? Your relationship with your girlfriend is a spiritual discipline. And if you're doing stuff with your girlfriend that you shouldn't be doing because you're not married, you're acting more like the devil than you are Jesus. The way you deal with other people, spiritual discipline. The thing is, garbage in, garbage out. What are you watching? The gates, when it talks about lift up your gates in the Bible, it talks about it's your eyes. And I open up the eyes of my heart that I might see and know you, God. What are we watching? We're going to get into that, our flesh. If we are feeding our flesh and we're not feeding the spiritual man, what do you think is going to, our disordered desires are just going to become normalized in society? You know that most people watch these are statistics from the States, but I don't think they're two different here. Watch between three and five hours of TV a day. In fact, the millennials are on their phones or a device four to five hours a day. I don't know how we work, but that is a spiritual discipline. If, if all you're doing, and we're trying to engage our kids on this, is if all you're doing is watching this thing four, five, six, seven, eight hours on a Saturday afternoon because you're bored, what are you feeding yourself? Basically, you're just eating flings the whole day and drinking Coke. And you wonder why physically you, you fall over. Now, Paul says, what's wrong with that? <clears throat> Most of you, the only spiritual discipline is you being here on a Sunday morning. Now, now hear me. I know Dale talked about getting a hiding. I'm giving you a hiding now. But hopefully it's a loving hiding. It's not to punish you, but it's to say, guys, you've got to make some changes. 
Because if all you are doing is eating and hearing from God on a Sunday morning for, okay, I'm 50 minutes, which I'm longer than I wanted to be. If that's all you're hearing and you're getting a 45-minute worship in and then a bit of a kind of engagement with some Christians here, but nothing else during the week, no wonder you are not living the good life. What are you doing during the week? Are you doing CBR? Are you going to a life group? Because you know that's your choice. Are you listening to podcasts from other guys around the world? Are you listening when you miss here? Are you following the series so that you can engage and make the adjustments? Like Louise asked, I asked you guys last week, go before God, take 15 minutes of your week. Everyone has 15 minutes. I don't care how busy you are. And say, God, what is the lie that I believe about you? What is the lie that I believe about myself? That's all I asked you guys to do. And when Louise asked you how many had done that, we had one or two people. And then we wonder why we struggle in our lives because we're only really eating and hearing truth once a week and not engaging God throughout the week. This is not to get you to feel shameful and whatever else. It's to say, if you are wanting to deal with the deceptive ideas of the devil, this, that is not the way to do it. Because all you're hearing is the world. You're in the world all the time. Work harder. Pharaoh, build those bricks without straw. Keep going. Busy. You can't stop the provision. Yeah, this and that and whatever. And then, oh God, by the way, um, I'm not feeling well. Can you, can you heal me, please? And that's the today Christian. As opposed to just saturating ourselves in the word of God, in prayer, fasting at times, engaging God around various things. Not because you want something, but because you want to engage God and be with him. One of our values of this church is not to have God for what he gives you, but actually just have God for God. Because that's the reality is when we posture and position ourselves through practice to hear his voice, read his word, then his empowering presence comes. Our mind, our emotions are filled with who he is. We become more like Jesus. And the habits of our mind and our body start to happen. And that's what lands up. Instead of being isolated, honestly, some of you who come to church once a month, and I'm not saying come to Life House. If there's a church closer to you and you've got community around there, rather go there. I'm saying, but when you are not surrounding yourselves with other people and all you're hearing is the world's system being plagued into your mind and your heart, no wonder your heart starts to die. No wonder your soul starts to fade away. And then generally what happens is you get upset with something that happens at church and then you don't come back. But you get involved with all other kinds of stuff and now you don't even have the Sunday moment and you wonder why your Christianity and your relationship with God is struggling. Please hear my heart on that. Please don't get all shameful. No, it's actually just a simple decision to say, Jesus, I invite you back into my life and help me, Holy Spirit, through this process of spiritual practices to know you better, because as you keep doing that, and as you keep doing that, all of a sudden you turn around and you've broken the Gauteng record in the 50 breaststroke. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? And maybe you don't, but you keep trying, and you keep practicing, and you keep trying to get to a place where it's about practicing, not just trying. So let me rephrase my words there. So, you know what? James says, submit yourself first to God. Because we always quote that second part. Resist the devil and he'll flee. No, no. When we submit ourselves to God, we can then resist the enemy and he will flee. And then what it actually goes on to say, 
And when you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. So why don't you stand, please? So I want to ask you, just as we go into some worship, we'll be another 10, 15 minutes and we'll finish. As we have communion over there. So as we start worship, I, would, I want to ask you, go across there. Why do we do that? To remember what Jesus did for us. Because we now have Holy Spirit inside of us. We have his empowering presence. And we have the truth. He will lead us into all truth. And in other scriptures it says that I'm giving you the Holy Spirit because he will remind you of what I've taught you. He will remind you of whose you are. When you know whose you are and you know your daddy and you know who your daddy is and you know how much he loves you, actually you live the good life no matter what your circumstances are. And so we have the emblems over there. I want to ask you to go grab Spend some time engaging God this morning as we worship. And in a moment, I want to ask if, those, if there's anybody here who wants to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't been speaking in tongues. Maybe you've never believed it. I'd love to make an opportunity to pray for you and that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will come upon you to give you that gift that, on oh my word, is probably, for me, the most valuable gift that I've got outside of salvation. So let's worship. Let's commune with God on our own. I don't want to break bread with somebody. Break bread with yourself and God. Remember what he's done. Ask him what the lies you believe now. What is the truth, Lord? I don't want to be isolated, God. Where am I isolating myself? And let's engage God.